Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into one of the most exciting restaurant and bar scenes in America, beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini, joined by Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson. We have all kinds of news from the past week here in Las Vegas and beyond, and we have been to some of the best places in the city over these past weeks. We have a lot to talk about today, Al. Yes, and we're also going to head over to the southwest corner of the valley for lunch in a conversation at DW Bistro. Subject on that is the LGBTQ hospitality scene. Who's owned, who's friendly, who's open, who's um, just a good place to go if who's you're who? down with that scene. Who's who, yes. And you should be down with that scene. Come on, man. You know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Al, but first we have some feedback from a listener. Lindsay, the very popular Instagrammer known as the Las Vegas foodie, wanted to chime in on my challenge for the best cheese steak in the city. She loves pop. She loves those guys. We like those places too, Al, but we're looking a little off the beaten path. And one person who kind of wrote to us was Joe from Lucino's over there on Tropin Eastern. Have you ever been there? I have not. Me neither. I think we got to go try this cheesesteak. Everyone says it's uh, all the rage. And also, Al, uh, uh, Lindsay wanted us to drop our contact info a little more often. So here's what we can do. Search Food food and Loathing on Facebook. Twitter is Food Loathing Pod. And Instagram, Food and Loathing Pod. Reach us at any of the socials. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you, cheesesteaks. We're going to find a great, great, great one. one Please, I'm still working on that one that was horrible from about three weeks ago. I need need something better. So getting to what we have done over the past week, man, um, we'll just go round robin here because we've all had kind of a busy week. I'm going to start off. um, I went to A Touch of Burlesque at the new Centerfolds Cabaret. This is a weird scene, so I want to lay this out for you. Now, this is the strip club that used to be Club Paradise across from the Hard Rock at the time. It's now Centerfolds. It's across from the Virgin Hotel. And, you know, I've been complaining a lot. And and I think this is a valid point to bring up in a food and beverage podcast because strip clubs are bars. I used to like to go to strip clubs. And my first job in Las Vegas, my first local writing job was reviewing strip clubs. So I love to go to strip clubs. Love to go early in the day where I'm not being hustled for lap dances. Just be able to tip at the stage with my wife. I have not been able to find that since COVID. Um, I just, you go in the day and it's only a couple ladies giving lap dances. Of course, if you go at night, it's more crowded. You have all the tourists. So I was excited that this new show, A Touch of Burlesque, has come to Centerfold's Lounge. It's a lot of beautiful women, all of whom have been in other Las Vegas shows. And they're doing kind of a production, very similar to Fantasy at the Luxor. One of those, you know, kind of topless shows, right? But they're doing it within the strip club. The irony is there's no nipples in this show. There's literally like no breasts. So, pasties all the time? I mean, yeah. And for the most part, not even, I mean, more than pasties most of the time. And that's great. These women are super talented and they have a great choreographed show. There's no need for them to show booby in order to be paid. I, I agree completely. But there's a certain irony that if I were to go see other shows in a casino, I'd be seeing boobs and I go into a strip club and there are no boobs. I was a little bummed (laughs) about that. But what I found out was because it was media night, they didn't have the other dancers, the booby showing dancers were not mingling the room as they normally would be. But I'm told that generally speaking, if you do go see a touch of burlesque, you will not see those performers get naked, but there will still be people who will get naked for you. And that makes me happy. (laughs) Al Mancini, as always on the 
the food and beverage yes. beat. Tal Mancini, <laughs> acknowledged heterosexual. Um, it's an- <laughs> I will I will gladly go to um, some down and dirty dive bar male stripper club with you guys yeah. anytime. <laughs> anytime. As long as they're not afraid of giving me a lap dance, I'll go. That's that's cool. I, I, I just want to say about that. It seems like it might not be the best fit, right? Like it sounds like a cool show, but maybe don't put it in a place where they are showing something more explicit. I mean, it was kind of cool because it sort of reminded me of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the movies, like Bur- is it Burlesque or that, that Christina Aguilera movie with Cher and, or even a Lady Gaga movie or something, right? It was like these great production numbers being done within a club where the dancers could be behind you and up on a stage and the scarf dancers are over your head. So it was a, it was a good setting and I would recommend checking out the show. Cool. Well, I mean, you know, as a comedian, there is a long tradition of burlesque and comedy in strip clubs. So I hope it works. Uh, speaking of being watched, Al... I was watched while I ate a fancy meal. I had one of the most unique dining experiences of my time here in Las Vegas. I went to the Toriyama Umami Wagyu Beef Tasting at Sparrow and Wolf set up by Ryu Sauce and that Jumpstart uh, branding agency that we talked about with Emily in our uh, influencer segment, which we're not supposed to call them influencers. But what was interesting (laughs) is uh, it was Brian Howard, obviously, and Daniel Ontiveros, who we know is moving over to Carver's Steak. Anthony Lamontia was back there. All these guys in Sparrow and Wolf, they're cooking with this amazing Wagyu beef from Japan. And the technology was it was a six six course menu and on a screen they they it would be like zoom but it was like supposed to be like the fancy version of zoom where the owners of the wagyu company were watching us eat eat each bite each dish how did we like the wagyu what what do we think of it of course the technology didn't work so it was just really people (laughs) watching us and i don't mind if you're going to watch me eat but you should be paying me for it in more than wagyu at that point i mean i'm I'm guessing that the um the amount of wagyu you you ate at that meal was worth more than you get paid for most of your stand-up shows so and and most of my articles sadly (laughs) but of your article uh, you could tell brian was having fun and everyone got the meat sweats and uh there was some Good plates, and I'm always down uh, with Japanese businessmen watching me do things. Speaking of uh, Wagyu, I went to, uh, I had Wagyu for lunch the other day. 30th anniversary, uh, my wife and I, following the advice of John Curtis. John Curtis and his Eating Las Vegas site the other day did a piece about make your big, fancy, huge meal lunch instead of dinner. You'll feel better, you'll get a better value. As he said, who has sex after Thanksgiving dinner? Point taken. You know what? I was really enjoying that John gave us good <laughs> advice, and now I had to picture John having sex. After Thanksgiving Maybe dinner. Maybe you could take him to Centerfolds. And, 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 yeah, <laughs> and no disrespect to the lovely Miss Alex, but um, I don't want yeah. to picture that. Anyway, we had, we went to Wally's, uh, the, the new place in the uh, in Resorts World. It's famous in Santa Monica and Beverly Hills. John says they're trying to become sort of a French bistro, and so I went with the steak fritz, and it was a seven-ounce piece of Wagyu that ate like it was, I don't know, 16 ounces. It was so rich and so good. They had a little uh, uh, Bernays on the side that didn't really need. They had a, uh, the fritz were perfect, and they had a ketchup made in-house that actually tasted like tomatoes, and they said, we get we get kind of mixed reviews of this thing because it doesn't taste like ketchup. It tastes like tomatoes, and as, as someone who doesn't really not into fresh tomatoes. I really loved it. 
Cool. And I've been dying to get into Wally's. Wally's yeah. is, other than Brezza, Wally's is probably at the top of my list of places I want to try at Resorts It is doing great as far as I can tell. I was in Resorts World the other day with you, as a matter of fact. And, yeah, uh, we'll let we, you take your turn next. Tell us what we right. did there. And yeah. can I just shout out Rich for going total Goomba mode. Steak Fritz. I'll have the Steak Fritz Steak there. Fritz. <laughs> yeah. yes. Give me the Steak Fritz. You've mixed your uh, European countries, but thank you. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, so, Al, I'm writing an article on the famous food street eat the giant food hall slash hawker market slash what are we really i think you could call it it's a food court it's a food court. yeah it's a spacious food court <laughs> nice one they nice one. with a dj with a dj and the way you can order is via touch menus and all this stuff although the technology doesn't always seem to work i think there are kinks to work out i like their technology actually over there at famous foods when i was there with you because what you could do is you can walk up to a kiosk in the center of the room you can order from all if one person wants it from one stand another person wants something from another stand order it all you pay for it together but then you have to walk to each individual stand to pick it up and also it just doesn't work all the time that's that's from my experience well i mean yeah that is the problem with the not working part is a problem yeah it's like when i want Japanese businessmen to watch me eat and they're not able to. I mean, Jason, maybe you're just the, the ghost in the machine here. So, Al, you and I kind of... You're the glitch uh, in the matrix, Jason. Yeah, all right. Uh, you are Neo. Do you think the ghost... Uh, you went ghost in the machine and then... Uh, was that the police or was police that... Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. So, maybe they could reunite for glitch in the matrix or something but al you and i kind of agreed there's a lot of interesting bites price points high but there weren't that many home runs there from what we tried i think it's a great food court i it always it weirds me out when people tell me like the food court wasn't as good as they were expecting i'm like it's a good food court it is not a sit-down restaurant it is not a signature thing i like that everybody kind of specializes in one particular dish you go there for that no there were not a lot of home runs i would say that the um clay pot was a home run a long um, clay pot yeah nice. that was a home run and there was one other that i think we both well we both really liked the roti but i went back and you can't order a roti on your own so it was like what's the point if well, you're you can stop up curry with it and i like right that. but if you order the uh nazi lamak they don't give you a roti and you can't order one on the side it doesn't make sense to me why yeah. advertise this one dish that was so special that took weeks of them to learn to make over zoom you know and then you can't buy it separately that's ridiculous to me um yeah i didn't see any advertisements for that one. Day. I mean, all the pictures <laughs> okay. of the place are roti. Yeah, okay. That, that, <laughs> fine enough. Um, I thought, look, I thought it was a really solid experience. At the end of the day, if I want to go for a, a a meal of that level of casualness in that price range, I'm going to go over to Marigold in Resorts World. I prefer Marigold, but you're with a group of five people, six people. You're here in town. Everybody wants something different. I think this is a really good food court. There's better seating than at the one over at the Cosmo. Um, I like the ordering system, but I didn't use it, so I didn't know that it didn't work but you know i don't think it's fair for i mean i don't know how many times you've been back like maybe it just wasn't working that yeah day. no i, I went no back afterwards one okay. time but no i agree with you it's a good food court i i'm gonna say this one because of that price point it is a little high you have to be you know a little more discerning about that because mm-hmm. if people are spending that level of money like you know it, then you want those home runs right and two you know this is one of the big things to come out of the resorts world opening this hawker market which is just a food court yeah so. i guess other people get their their expectations up way too high every time they hear about a new freaking food court and i don't i'm so i go into food courts always with very low expectations this one met and exceeded all of my expectations yeah. for it I mean, guys, they advertise this thing like crazy. We're 
bringing in vendors from all around the world. Each one's going to serve their specialty dish, Michelin star plates. It's going to be like a street hawker market in Singapore. Come on. they If they're putting this much yeah. effort into making it shine, then I want it to shine. Let's yeah. also remember it's 18 different people, as you said, and and – you know, sixteen of them may be great, and two are are clunker. And half of half of the chefs haven't made it over from yes. Asia to even oversee it yet. I mean, right. we are in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't know. Look, I'm I'm simply saying it, it, it's as good or better than I was expecting it to be, I, and I was happy with it. I think it's not bad. But I was on your dime, so that that's a lot easier. Well, I was Other people on, are paying. I'm I'm always happy, and I think you were on their dime, so that's cool. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. I just think it needs some work, and that's okay. Look, yeah. everything's better six months after it opens, and if not, then they should close. Yeah. You know, so. Um. Look, I for me this week also a shout out to John Church. Hey, Let's talk about Johnny C. <laughs> he catered a birthday party I attended over the weekend. Totally blew the minds of everybody in attendance. One thing that he made a, a great porchetta French toast doesn't matter. You're not going to that birthday party, but um, <laughs> he has his own maple syrup that he is um, marketing over at Johnny C's Diner. So I'm going to go over there and get that to to pimp my pancakes. I, I wanted to do that because I love Johnny C's Diner and I love maple syrup. But what is he? Is he now a, a woodsman in the in the Yukon Territory or in uh, where is he getting the access to maple syrup? He is actually he gave me Montreal? the story. It was somebody that he knew in some syrup state who was doing it for him. I don't know. You know Vermont? We'll get Johnny on. I Vermont think is it sounds like state. Vermont, but it could be New Hampshire. I don't know. Jed Bartlett used to always brag about the maple syrup on West Wing. <laughs> so who knows, man? I don't know. I don't know. But it was good maple syrup. Jason wants to know that. Jason, yeah. why don't we do a DNA test on the maple syrup? See I, where the trees I need are to know. From. Johnny, I need to know, but Rich, I bet you like maple syrup, huh? I used to until, uh, you know, type 2 diabetes. <laughs> That's one of those things that I have to just sort of say, I don't think so. I'll, I'll cheat on some other things, but uh, pure liquid sugar, I, I, I set the bar there. J- Rich, where else have you been this week? I was at the Nashville office last week. And uh, didn't do much. I was at a podcast convention, but I had one really nice uh, fine dining experience at a place called Adele's Upscale Southern, an old uh, car dealership, uh, a big multi-level, noisy, boisterous thing. Uh, My companions had uh, trout and salmon. I had the duck. Again, a small portion that was very rich. My server warned me it was small, but it, it, it filled me up fine. It came raw in the middle, though. Mm. To her credit, the server got it back there, got it fired for about 30 seconds on both sides, got a new setup of, of what was really nice, a sweet radicchio and some smoked celery root he spread. He notes, man. Rich well, takes yeah. notes when he's dying. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was a nice time. It was uh, too loud to hear my two companions, but... The duck was great when it wasn't raw. And the other time it was... The music's probably good, right? uh, I have no idea. I I mean, depending on your two companions, that might not have been a bad thing. Now, I was a partner and his wife, and they're in their 70s, so no. The Uh, only other time was Auntie Annie's uh, sandwiches, uh, breakfast sandwiches, and a barbecue joint across from the Opryland Hotel called Caney Fork River Grill. 28 bucks for surf and turf and two sides, and it was edible. All right. Okay. Um, Look, I'll just run through because we are running short on time. We've got a great segment coming up about the LGBTQ scene in Las Vegas. So, um, you know what? I went to a tea party at Queen of Hearts in Henderson over by the Codfather and Ocha. I'm going to talk more about that next week. That's awesome. Let that one roll on. But I love the place. Um, Look at look at our Instagrams. Look at my personal Instagram, Al Mancini Vegas. You can see me all dressed up in some of their gear. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I also went over to Asteria Costa before a comedy show. You know, that was um, Michael LaPlaca opened that place. Sure. Mirage. Mirage. Yeah. And I got to say, the pizza, I just had a quick pizza, but man, the crust on that thing was rock solid. So, Michael, you're going to be happy to know that there's still, because I know we put a lot into that pizza program. And how was the comedy show? 
The comedy show was really good. I saw Kathleen Madigan. And, She's um, a pro, she was, man. Yeah, she was really great, yeah. man. Uh, anything else you want yeah, to touch on I before mean, we get to the LGBTQ We talked segment? about him in the news last week. I went over to Harvest Roy Elamar. Uh, as you know, he's leaving this weekend, and I had to get in. And man, he just blew it out for us. All the all the hits, all the new stuff. Uh, you know, his staff loves him. I think they're going to try to keep the place open without him, and you know, evolve. And that's cool. But uh, you know, if you're listening to this as it drops on Friday, you have till Saturday night to go. So go do that. Also, went into Shanghai Plaza, the Paletta Bar, serving uh, very expensive Mexican ice pops that are. Um, not that great yet. <laughs> okay, we've got a lot more coming up. We spoke with Jeff Weiss about the return of Valencian Gold with new decor and a new concept and Craft House Brewery's Windy Forest. We'll preview a new beer they've created for the Psycho Las Vegas Festival in Mandalay Bay. But first, a conversation about the state of LGBTQ-owned, operated, and friendly restaurants and bars in our valley, which is coming up next. This, my friend, is Food and Loathing. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best pictures, some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984, and we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini with Jason Harris and Rich Johnson. Hanging out for this segment at DW Bistro in the Gramercy, which, if you're wondering, is located on Russell Road at the 215. Honestly, I love this restaurant for a lot of reasons. First, the food is delicious. A unique blend of um, Jamaican and Southwestern cuisine, which you're not seeing that at a lot of places. Uh, Beyond that, it's long been one of the Valley's top brunch spots. And finally, I love the owners, Bryce Krausman and Dalton Wilson, two guys I always see out and about in Las Vegas, (laughs) who really love the community. You guys support it in many, many ways. Um, Beyond that, when when Bryce and Dalton opened this restaurant 11 years ago, they may have been the only pair of openly gay men that I knew of running a restaurant in Las Vegas. And honestly, I don't know if two gay men running a restaurant in Las Vegas is a rarity or if it's a common thing. I don't know if the fact if it's a fact that we even need to talk about um, when we discuss DW Bistro. That's why we're here, to discuss the state of LGBTQ-owned, operated, and friendly bars and restaurants in Las Vegas and what that means for LGBTQ locals and tourists. And I'd have been just happy discussing the veggie curry bowl here but i'm happy we're going a little deeper guys so joining us for this conversation as well as well as eduardo cordoba he's been promoting las vegas's lgbtq community on and off the strip since 2008 when he created closet sundays at cat house in the luxor oh yeah Oh, oh, yeah. Bringing me back down memory lane. Bryce is going down memory lane now. Has the statute of limitations expired? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Last May, he opened the Arts District's first gay bar, The Garden. And despite opening in the midst of a pandemic, it has found quite a wide audience already. Hey, guys. Awesome. Welcome, gentlemen. Those are good intros. Wow. Hey, hey. Good to be hey. here. Anything we forgot to say about you? I think Dalton and I are a comedy sketch duo. That's probably why we're the two, you know, only openly gay, I guess. I don't know. I want to clarify, because I know you're the, uh, Eduardo, the Garden's the first 
gay bar in the arts district now, but there wasn't like Nick's before it was the art di- arts district. That was yeah, a- it was it was Nick's, and then it became Bastille. Oh, that's right. And and then it was bought out the whole building. But yes, I was yeah. not the first one. I'm the only one now. The only right. one now. Yeah. Okay. Well, my apologies for the miss. Maybe yeah. not the first, but maybe the most fabulous. It is Absolutely. definitely the most fabulous, and I, sure. I love it I'll there. Take that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I love that you're taking the the trip down memory lane because I really want to talk about how 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 new this whole idea of having a lot of open gay bars and restaurants that were generally accepted to the mainstream public is in Las Vegas. I moved here in 2001 and I was coming from New York City and at the yeah. time I was really in the 90s very immersed in the queer rock scene sure. there that a lot of my friends were promoting. So I came out to Las Vegas, a very you know, frequent um, visitor to New York gay bars and there were not a lot out here that that were, uh, I guess you'd call it breeder friendly or you know pansexual friendly or whatever it is. That basically that I could walk in with my cisgender wife and you know be... Sure. Um, be be not looked at but there were a few yeah. at the time i went to free zone a lot yeah um, we enjoyed that um and i remember hamburger mary's was yeah. a restaurant but the first ba- one back in those yeah. early days there was kind of that paradise road at least yep. my early days yeah. 2001 there's that paradise road strip that at the time everybody called the fruit loop we probably right. get in big trouble for saying that today we but called it the tri bar area because <laughs> it, it was free it was free zone it was then angles which is piranha now and then yes. god bless it gypsy. rest in peace the gypsy formed gypsy. a perfect triangle of and then the gay bookstore was there. Yeah. And then there was the leather bar, right? Or is it the buff? Not the buffalo. Was it, was it called the, the buffalo? buffalo? Yeah, it was the buffalo. I didn't go in there much. Yeah. <laughs> Leather's not, not your. Uh, that wasn't thing? my. That wasn't. That wasn't. Which I didn't. I, I, didn't I wasn't so good in there. And then there was. And then there was. What's the ass juice place? Oh, the Double Down. Double Down, which well, wasn't gay, down. but yes. it was super friendly. I mean, well, that's ass why. juices. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> That, that is why, so, I mean, get Double Down, yeah. a punk rock dive bar that serves ass juice. Exactly. Yeah, come on, let's call it what it is. I spent a lot of time in there when I worked for Blue Man Group because all the blue men like to go there. So we would coax them into going over to whether it was Free Zone or we'd go over to, you know, a gypsy and then dance the night away. Well, I think a lot of people would leave Double Down when a band came on yeah. because it was loud in there. So and there loud. were good bands, but then there were a lot of bad <laughs> punk rock bands. And so a lot of straight people would go in, see the punk rock, and then, yep. they, I mean, we were all a bunch of punk people, right? Yep. We didn't give a shit. Everybody's yep. looking at us funny anyway. So we're like, let's right. let the gay people look at us funny too. We don't yep. care. We'll hang out. And we had a lot of good parties so in the Free fun. Zone. Free Zone was a really fun place to Oh, yeah. Out. Their bartenders there were great. They were fun. And Gypsy was as well. Like, it was the place to go to for a drag show. Like, that was that's like, right. That yeah. was like the place. Um, and then Hamburger Marys became Good Times. Remember that? Oh, oh wait. So and there was a one Hamburger Marys was where the Hard Rock was. And right. there. Mm-hmm. And then where Good Time, the Monday night Good Times yeah. uh, by the Liberace oh, Museum. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, this is memory lane for sure. Yeah, we, we got more to go. The sum- the I mean, there's a lot. Commercial Center, Badlands. Well, the Commercial spotlight. Center. Also, I love the crossover between these early ones, yeah. right? Because Jason's talking about Badlands, the Gay Cowboy Bar, right? Mm-hmm. And those were right. That was right next door to the Green Door. Yeah, which yep. was the hetero yep. swingers club yes. on premises. Get laid in front of a bunch of strangers with a bunch of strangers, and Badlands was awesome because. The, the gay bar was so accepting to the pervert, the straight perverts who would go in there afterwards. And I'm not saying why I spent time there, but I wrote a lot of stories about the swingers got it. There, the day. Got there was also the men's uh, only gymnasium down there, oh, yeah. right? The gymnasium. Yeah. That's good. Was that what you called? It was the Hawks. Gym? Hawks, yes. Oh, did, you, did you buff up there a lot? No, but I just went in to check it out. <laughs> So, I mean, in the, I have no and then there was Charlie's, but what was it called before Charlie's? 
Um, it was another name. I was too young. I, you were t- oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm showing my age here yeah. in all these bars. So, but but these yeah. were like, it, it really seems to me that when, again, in these days that we're talking about, the early 2000s when I remember, it was very segregated, very ghettoized. There were these yes. couple of little pockets of gay-friendly yeah. businesses, but it was they weren't scattered throughout the valley, right? No, I mean, there was a few. There was, there was something on East... East Charleston beyond Commercial Center. I mean, I started going to the bars when I was, um, when I was, you know, old enough. Um, <laughs> when when you had I, fake ID. You know what? Let me tell you. The bouncers at, at Gypsy and Angles then, back in the day, and Lace was the lesbian bar in the back. Um, huh. I, I got in with my UNLV school ID, which did not have my birth date on it. <laughs> nice. But they had very nice bouncers back in the day. And if you're young, you're like, hey, I'm just coming in for a minute. And I, I remember going to Angles when I was... You know, 17. 17. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. So I'm impressed yeah. that you went to UNLV at 17. I did. Wow. I, I went to UNLV for a year and a half. And uh, yeah, and so I, I traveled to other cities. And, and, and you know, Eduardo and I talked about this, and we talked about this too, is that other cities, it became, you know, pockets and areas where it was, the, you know, in Chicago, it's Boys Town. It's the area like Belmont and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in, even in Long Beach, same thing. You know, um, everywhere had areas. And we sort of were scattered all over the place. And and that was okay. I mean, you know, I didn't I didn't know anything different growing up. So until I visited other places, Seattle, New York, places where you know, the village, every every place that was particularly comfortable, and you were comfortable walking on the street, holding hands with another man. Um, you know, it, it, Vegas has just kind of always been I, to me. Being born here, Vegas has always been very accepting to me. And I grew up Mormon, so you know that's another story. But. For, from my standpoint, it felt like Vegas was building itself to be welcoming all over the place. Uh, and that's where, how I feel it is today. Okay. So which of you, which came first, DW Bistro or you or Eduardo at the Cat House? Which oh, Cat House. I don't know. Yeah. That was 2008. Yeah. So. We came in 2010. Okay. Yeah. So, Eduardo, what was the scene like in 2008 on the Strip when you wanted to introduce a gay night? And there's a great story about why you called it Closet, right? For me, it was interesting because, I mean, like what you said, Bryce, that it was, um, oh, Vegas is so accepting or it was always so accepting. And it it was, but it wasn't. And it wasn't the fact that we have a lot of entertainers in Las Vegas. We have a hospitality industry, which, you know, we we have a lot of LGBTQ, um, you know, people in there. But there wasn't uh, that acceptance in the mainstream yet. And that's what I noticed. When I got here in 2005, that was something that I noticed, that you had to go. We were still behind in the yeah. fact that this you know, dark alleys lay the path for us to have more visibility in, in the mainstream and people coming out. But here in Vegas, we were still behind in that aspect, that we were still hidden in a dark alley. And we, we didn't have those spaces that... Chicago had or New York or LA that you know the right you know center of of on a main street and having a bar that that you could be proud of that you could bring your family or you could bring your friends or having the day part as well it was all just night stuff what what about what about Crave wasn't Crave there on the strip and Crave was there yes and it was like the the only thing that was like on the strip that was that was really, and it was awesome. Yeah, was, I was sad know, to this, see that go. And Crave yeah. was an interesting concept too, because I talk about the we, you mentioned the crossover between punk rock, yeah. over yeah, and that and Crave had a goth night that was adjacent yeah. to Crave on the Strip, so all the goths would wander over into the gay bar, and I don't know that. A well, lot you remember of the gay that show they had there, the Fashionistas, right. was yeah. in there for a yeah. long time. Oh, yeah, that John was, Stagliano, the that, porn producer that, show. They yeah. were very accepted. There was so much. Uh, 
because I run house seats too, and we used to give out a lot of comps to to, Cra- to Crave and to that show. People loved that show. Like we would get res- we would get surveys back how much people loved costumes, the experience, that whole that whole you know that whole nightlife that we probably craved before we had you know uh, well, we had Studio Fifty Four at MGM yeah. Grand, <clears throat> and we had but this is prior to the big clubs where they were people were putting on shows. I mean, Fashionistas was kind of like oh this is this is fun, and it it attracted everyone. Well, I used to be, I actually used to perform there in the show before mm-hmm. Fashionistas, which was the Sopranos Last yep. Supper, uh-huh. really? okay. which is probably better forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to sue Crave, that was a fun or show. threatened to sue Crave oh, hey. at one point for using me in um, in one of their promo handouts. They they cut oh. out a picture of me and with, with Benny Velasquez. Uh, Benny, oh, sure, Benny. Yeah, and, and they put us, for some reason, it was something from my book release party, and they just cut it out, and they put it in their promo material for Crave Massive that they were doing downtown, which I would have been fine with if they asked oh, my that's permission. Right, they moved. Yeah, well, they, and, and so I ended up filing a law, or threatened to file, and I settled, and they had to donate money to the It Gets Better project in my name, and okay. you know I was happy wow. with that. But you sh- probably shouldn't have gone to your book release party as a leather daddy, and then maybe it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I grew up on Judas Priest, imagine. man. That's that normal. Breaking the law. 100%. Um, so, <laughs> so t- t- when you no Cat House at Luxor, that was a Kerry Simon restaurant, right? Yes. And what a you know a good friend of mine I, I like to say I, I hope he thought that way as well um, and it was certainly a wild kind of place it had that that brothel feel to it, it but very burlesque heterosexual friend. burlesque going most nights of the week so what was it like bringing closet in there it was um, well getting there was a big challenge like you mentioned before um, working you know just being on the strip I started as a promoter on you know with Tao group and I was one of the the promoters that bring the girls, like the girl promoters, that bring the girls to the tables. Um, and that's how I got to know a lot of the operators, a lot of the managers in every single club, and getting to know them and finding, you know, people in, in L.A. that had, you know, friends of mine that were promoters that would take a, venue, a straight venue and turn it into a gay night. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do we have that here in Vegas? So I took that as a challenge. I'm like, I would love to turn Cat House. I would love to turn maybe a little small room and and towel, like the opium room, into maybe the gay room for a night. Um, But every single owner that I asked, they would tell me, like, I can't do that, Eduardo, because Mm. if, you know, Joe from Minnesota comes on a Thursday and they see that it's gay, they're going to think it's a gay bar. Mm. And we can't risk being labeled as a gay bar. So they had this taboo and fear to being labeled. And they didn't want that, and that was not welcome. And gay marriage was not, you know, legal back then. And MGM, you know, they'll like they'll freak out as well, you know. So, what um, what what they told me at Cat House, and it was like, okay, finally, after knocking every single door in the strip and being turned down and saying no, 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 like we can't have a gay night, um, they told me, you know what? On Sundays we're closed. If you make three thousand dollars, we break even. So why don't you see if you could do it? But you can't call it a gay night because MGM Rush will freak out and we can't wow. get that approval and any of that. So I was so mad about it. So I call it Closet Sundays <laughs> and I made the flyer like so if it was in a fashion theme. Right. And, I, and it started like that. So it will be hosted by different fashion and retail stores like, you know, guests or, you know, different stores will like host. But it became that. And Jeffrey Sanker was one of the first ones to help me uh, bring in people. It started with about 50 people it was um, Riken as well. Riken just had won the Mason race at that time, him and his partner. 
and Jeffrey Sinker, and they helped me host the first night. And from those 50 people, it became 500 people. And all of a sudden, Sundays was the best night. I was making more revenue on a Sunday night than what they do on a Saturday wow. or Friday. And if you want to get the attention That's of so a casino, cool. make them money, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then they eventually gave you the pool at Luxor too, right? So from then, um, I, I was like, why don't we have a pool party? So I, appro- I approached Luxor and... Um, Tim Evans was the VP uh, back then. I don't think he's involved anymore, but um, him being LGBT and being a gay man, he helped me get this pool party going. And at first it was really weird because I don't know if you if you know, like coming in from the parking lot to the pool of Luxor, they have this bridge. And to yep. the right is kind of a little pool, and then to the left is like the main yeah. pool. They <laughs> had us on the right pool. The little so pool. it was kind of like a zoo where you like see the people, like the, an- <laughs> the weird animals. Right. <laughs> you were on display for the world. Like yeah, so it was so weird. But it was, you know, it was the baby steps. And that's how it got started. And for the first two years, it became, you know, the only gay pool party on the strip and after two years I, I, I decided to focus on nighttime uh, there was more money involved at night and a lot of the times I couldn't make it to my own pool party yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so then it's I still hand- going today yeah I handed over to Luxor and you know I wow. think like 13-14 years oh is still going God. on congrats on that I've, I've never been there but you know I've, and, if and you want to take me sometime I'm down let's go on a <laughs> Sunday now they moved it to the main part uh-huh. which is, which is See, awesome yeah um, that's cool so but Bryce, let's get to DW I, I, I haven't been to it still. <laughs> okay, well Bryce, you and I should go there, man. <laughs> that's fine. Fine. I, I, I'm it's down. Sunday. Let's go. I have, um, I'll, I'll do it after brunch. So let's talk about D- opening DW Bistro, which I know is not a, d- a declared LGBTQ restaurant, right? But it certainly the word got out pretty quickly that there were two gay men running a restaurant, <laughs> and I mean, and I mean that in the best possible sure, way sure. that that people wanted to come here because they wanted to support that community. At least that's what yeah. I noticed as somebody. Looking Looking in from the outside. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, when I was saying before, being from here, you know, we found the cool places to go. I'm not saying the gays are all cool. It's just we, we like cool places. <laughs> so when we found something new on the strip, we went to that. Whether it was whether it was uh, Coyote Cafe back at MGM Grand. Like, you, there were places you went early on that you just sort of kind of found your way. People were at the bar. You know, we found nice bars, right? That's what we did. We found the nice bars. Um, we found the nice venues. That's where we wanted to go. We want to have a nice cocktail, a nice martini, a nice cocktail list. And so for, for Dalton and I, you know, obviously we never set out to open, a, obviously, LGBTQ restaurant. It was just that we, obviously, we've been gay all our lives. And so if you were coming to our home, we were building a restaurant that was an extension of our home. We were just going to charge you now. <laughs> and so, and, and the very first menu we ever did was brunch because, and, and you know, coming here, Back in the day, brunch there was there was maybe the the Bally's, um, pe- pe- you know, the, the champagne brunch, Sterling brunch. There was the buffets, but there was no proper place doing brunch in Las Vegas. And so, you know, Dalton and I found ourselves traveling California, Seattle places, having brunch places in really nice lit places. You know, that had windows, and 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 we came back to Vegas. I was like maybe oh seven or oh eight, and we're inside one of those outside inns or pub places where you can still smoke in the other room. And there's families eating like French toast on a Sunday in the dark. And I'm like, why do we not have places in San Diego and all these places we go visit? Where is brunch in Vegas? So that's what we, we, we built the brunch menu first because we knew we needed a place to have a comfortable brunch for everyone. 
with they had you know and you remember the old location on Fort Apache. Yes. I mean once once brunch started to catch on, it was like body to body. Um, I love I miss those days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our bar had like four seats at it, you know, and Dalton was usually sitting on one of the chairs. So you had to find your way to the bar, and it was just like going back into a gay bar back, and it's like three deep. And it had everyone. Everyone went, no yes. matter who you were. And it, it was just very comfortable. And that's how we've always maintained the restaurant, even today. I mean, we just had 80s brunch on Sunday. Everyone was, it was Dalton's birthday. It was his birthday. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to have a, a proper party. So we had 80s brunch on Sunday. Every, all of our clients came dresses in the 80s. We did, too. Uh, it was, it was, it's wild. So we wanted to create a space where if we did a theme, everyone was part of it. You know, whether we did drag brunches, which they, which, which Garden does too. And I love that they do that because we need more of that because these other cities have that. And we, we've, like you said, we've teetered around here and there, but we're, like I said, the restaurants are very inclusive. We always want to go to the, you know, and there was no celebrity chef restaurants back in those days either. It was the gourmet room and the buffet. And we went to the gourmet rooms, <laughs> you know, the, and, yeah. and that was just kind of, so that was how it sort of planted the seed of creating a space that you could go off the strip, feel comfortable, kind of hang out, and it just evolved into that. Now, the space here is beautiful. We've yeah. got your windows, you've got your view and all that, but how much talking yourself into it when you said, let's go to an office park on the lower left-hand oh, corner of the Beltway? Well, this was this was its own unique challenge and, and joy at the end of the day. We've been in this Gramercy location for almost five years. Wow. Uh, we were we were sort of coaxed from our... I mean, we our lease was almost up at the Fort Apache location. We needed more space. The, the, the first owners of Gramercy who took it over during, um, you know, the time where they, they saw its potential. Uh, those owners brought us in here in the very beginning, and, you know, we've been very happy with this location. We have a bigger bar, as you can see. There's more than yeah. four chairs at the bar. <laughs> um, and we have a beautiful courtyard, so we've put on courtyard events. We've done gospel brunches. We've done fashion events. We've done um, charity events in the courtyard because the courtyard lends itself for, you know, those kind of uh, fun events that we can do now and in the future. And obviously the last two years have been challenging, but we look forward to the next few years where we can do more joint events, have more fun, utilize the space for what it is because, the, yeah, it is, a, it is a strip mall in a sense, but it's, it's, it's uh, that mixed use. You've got the living, yeah. the working, the dining kind of situation. The nicer spin would be it's a destination. That is correct. So, Eduardo, going to the garden, we are advertising it as uh, an openly gay bar, correct? Yes, it is a gay bar, restaurant, yes. Is there a reason that you want... I mean, you know what? I have a question before that. Why I can... I get it from the gay bar standpoint, but as a restaurant, what is the reason you want to advertise as an openly gay restaurant? Well, for me, it's, it's um, creating a safe space for the LGBT community. And just by being gay, then now you're naturally welcoming to everybody else. Um, so, but that's like the most important reason for me because going, you know, I've, I've been doing, it was, this was the 12 years in the making yeah. and I met with, uh, you know, downtown owners because I've been trying to find a place in a location downtown. I may, met with the downtown project, met with Tony Shea about this. For three years, I was I was courting Tony Shea, and they were pretty much bringing me in their circle and finding a venue. They were giving me the space where Chow was. They were giving me the space where other places, uh, venues, but they didn't want me to call it a gay bar. Mm. So it was never a priority, and they're like, Eduardo, why do you want to make it a gay bar? Like, can it just be a bar for everybody? But straight people don't understand the challenges that LGBTQ uh, people go through. And for us, it's like, yes, I can go to 
for example, I can go to any of the bars on Fremont, but I've been to, um, um, for example, Downtown Cocktail Bar. I've been to, uh, um, what's the other one? And well, Commonwealth as well. Like, And I remember, like, you have to look twice or even just going to excess, for example, before I hold my boyfriend's hand or give him a kiss. Mm. You kind of have mm-hmm. to look around. It's sure. a natural thing that LGBTQ people Mm-hmm. live with you yeah. have to kind of look yeah. around see if you're going to offend anybody or if you're going to get punched right so if you're if you need to feel safe I d- but when look, you're at a gay bar you don't have to do that it's uh even just hearing that now like i get those like bad tingles like it's 2021 mm-hmm. why do we still have to mm-hmm. have that it upsets me you know it, so. it is upsetting but it's like i have to say these things because straight people won't like they don't understand it because it's not part of their daily lives you know holding my you know my boyfriend's hand or my husband's hand and give him a kiss or mine thanks or you know like being in public you have to look around because you don't know who you're gonna offend and those are that's the the first and most important reason um and having representation right and visibility um so if it's a gay establishment that means it's a it's a safe place mm-hmm. and that's really important for the community how and safe is las vegas as a whole for gay travelers right now not to maybe not get the shit kicked out of them which hopefully it's very safe in that regard i hope mm. but just to be able to give a kiss to their partners or you know for for trans people to walk around and not have people stare acceptance, and point at them and acceptance and las vegas is i feel it's a little hard because you get people from all over the world not just all over the country mm-hmm. um so it depends depends on where you are yeah. at um uh, for example like i'm i'm honestly glad i didn't ha- open the garden on fremont no, because say fremont street because mm. they're the only it, place you don't feel safe no. around there because we have so many people that are not accepting to lgbt yet and it's not so mainstream you know i feel safer on the strip um but not in different places i want to follow up on that because yeah. fremont crave moved over there and then it became right uh at neonopolis yeah and then yeah. it became the with the drag queens and the bowling. Drink right? and drag. Yeah. Which was yeah. super that fun. Was fun. That was awesome. a fun venue. That was so much fun. it was fun. successful. Yeah, that was fun. Well. And, and that was, was that, spot. did you feel a different vibe there than you would have at the rest of Fremont Street then? Or was it just Outside free? of that. Outside I, of that venue. I think so. Is because drag, drag brings everybody together. You know, like a gay man or a gay a female, it makes mainstream kind of uncomfortable. But a drag queen, it's like... It's like a it's, it's like non-threatening. A show. Yes, yeah. exactly. Birdcage like, yeah. And a drag queen can get away with anything. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No <laughs> one's threatened by Nathan. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so that's how I feel. Is different. Unless you're up to audition right. against him, then it's. A big uh, have you guys have both done drag brunches, right? Yes. Yeah. You have one now, right? We done. We've done divas brunch. Okay. Because that's because we do Frank Marino, and so he brings the impersonators. So it's not it's not like a drag queen brunch. It's more of impersonators and lip syncing. But the garden has one. The now. garden has a really correct? good. Yeah, we we started with Sunday, and it started back in November. So we opened in May during this whole pandemic, which was a whole other, uh, yeah. you know, uh, challenge. But we, I always wanted to have a day part. Uh, I always wanted to have a venue that was indoor, outdoor, mm-hmm. and also have, you know, happy hour. We have a Dougie happy hour. We call it the yappy hour once a month when the weather's nice. And I always wanted to have a kitchen because we wanted to have a drag brunch. And we started that in November on Sundays, and it it started, you know, with 35 people. And yeah. now we do about 220 covers 
at every brunch. Wow, that's so fun. And, that's awesome. And that's we great. expand it to Saturdays, so we have Saturdays and Sundays now. So let me ask you, let me change gears just a little bit. The topic Jason and I both really wanted to get into. We've written a lot about toxic kitchen culture, uh, how the kitchen's a, a very toxic place, especially for women to work in Las Vegas often, and it's getting better, thankfully. But has um, has kitchen culture ever been particularly toxic for, for the gay community, and is it getting any better? I mean, since we're the heads of everything in here, uh, everyone respects me and Dalton. I mean, Dalton was gone for a few years. He's back in Vegas now and is helping with some of the projects. We've had chefs in here over the years who come from environments where it's a little more combative, and they, they're not used to the way we do things here. I mean, it's very, it's very kind. We want to help everybody out. I mean, I know there's a certain degree of learning in those environments, and but for us, it's, we've always just kind of created this everything's okay come talk to me about whatever it is if you need help with ordering whatever it might be I, I don't know I haven't I haven't worked any other restaurant I was a host at a restaurant at the Monte Carlo a long time ago but I have no other experience in a kitchen except the way we run it here but just to clarify yeah. if you, these combative chefs that had nothing to do with sexuality that's oh, yeah, just no, a that different just style energy yeah for they, sure yeah, yeah. Exactly. and we, yeah. we were kind of talking <laughs> I, I just know women yeah. chefs who have said like there's this kind of toxic masculinity in a kitchen right and very degrading towards women at times, at least in the past. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's something that, that gay men have to worry about working in a kitchen. Or if I that mean, we, has never come up. Or is being an asshole transcend <laughs> gender being an orientation being an and everything else? I hope it does, right? Yeah. Being an asshole is its own. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and add that, another letter that to has the no yeah. place in here for sure. And, and Dalton and I are very, you know, we've had... We've had um, some wonderful female chefs in here too, and that have moved on to great things. We have we used to have uh, Beth, who was over at, at Italy, and she worked with Nicole. Um, we have a couple of them back there right now. I mean, it, for us, it's just a, always a welcoming environment for everyone. I think being a female is definitely I could see it being a challenge, yeah. right? But um, for for me, it doesn't just include the kitchen. It translates Everywhere. to my whole staff, like yeah. my entire staff. Um, and being a, a, a gay bar, um, I have servers and I have bartenders and I have kitchen staff as well that they're so excited to come to work and they're so excited to work at a gay venue because they can be themselves. Yeah. And you, when you opened, you and I spoke right when you were opening and um, you, it was very important to you at that time to, to mention to me, I think, that you had lesbian staff, that you had gay male staff, that you had transgender staff, that it yeah. was not... It was not just gay men only, Correct. you know, et cetera. Is that still the vibe that you, you're both trying to put out in, in your places? Yes, for sure. That's, that's, that's still what, I mean, is, is being diverse and being accepting and welcoming to every single gender. And we have, yeah. stra we have straight guys, too, and straight, <laughs> straight people. Um, so well, I think that's a good point because, you know, we have a lot of guys on staff here, and they're very gay-friendly. They may not be gay, but they're very, they're mm -hmm. very friendly with all of our clients. And I, I want to kind of follow up on that because, you know, I'm a comedian and we used to do a great show at Free Zone. And I'm wondering why hasn't, do you guys have any opinion? Why hasn't a show stuck at a gay bar? What do you mean? Like a comedy, com show? comedy show. You guys, you're talking about all the yeah. other entertainment you bring in, right? Jason wants to know why the gays yeah. don't like him. Just book me. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think so the gays do like me. Book here. We, we could do Saturday Just nights if you want. Let's maybe, do it. Maybe book the gays me. don't think so. you're funny. I don't know. <laughs> Listen. a lot of gay jokes, Jason. It doesn't work out. <laughs> when, once you hear about my situation with the mother of my child and everything, that'll all change for all Got of it. you. So. Got it. But, but, uh, yeah, Jason's entire... Jason opens his routine with like a lecture on the weirdness of his sexuality 
and you know this and that. Don't worry, but, guys. I'll handle my gay crowd just yeah, fine. Guys, but go, go, be, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say before before we wrap up, I, I want recommendations of best places that you would tell oh. visiting gay tourists to come in Las Vegas. Do you have uh, places that they that might be someplace that they they're not gonna find on the typical websites that they should really try? It doesn't have to be a dedicated gay yeah. restaurant or, or bar, but you know, just places they should go. I mean, always the most fun. Listen, I. I Dalton and I always started our night when we used to go to Gypsy. We started Olives at Bellagio, which is now I'm waiting for it to open at the at the mm. Virgin. Yeah, uh, yes. just because that was the bar to start your drinks at, and then move to the you know wherever we'd go first, whether it's dinner or whether that's drink somewhere, then you'd go out after that, right? I mean that was always that was yeah. always the thing we did. I mean I love Wally's at Resorts World now. Seems I to be my new favorite place, and they're gonna be open I love really late. Herbs and rye. Herbs and rye. All the late places. Yes. Because yeah. you want to eat. You want to eat after you go to the bar. So you know. Okay. But as far as gay place, I would. I would, I would so go garden. to the garden. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Go I to love the garden. the garden. I think it's fantastic. Well, sure. s- speaking of eating, I think we're here at DW. Yeah, we got to. Yeah, we chat we're going to have right? to take. Yeah, we're going to have to cut food. this short. I mean, we've been drinking. What are we drinking? Mums we're drinking over there? GH Mums. Yes. GH Mums, That's which is awesome. Fantastic. I want to thank you guys. We're about to order a little bit of food. So, gentlemen, thanks for your time, and I hope that it just continues to get better for the LGBTQ community here in Las Vegas. We will be back after this. This is Food and Loathing. Welcome back to Food and Loathing, where it's now time to take a look at the food and beverage news of the week. Let's start by mentioning that our friend Eduardo Cordova of The Garden has shared some more news with us since we recorded that last segment. His new piano and cocktail lounge, Star, is expected to soft open next weekend. That's the weekend of August 20th. It's located on Sammy Davis Drive behind the Fashion Show Mall in the space that once housed Sunny's Saloon. (laughs) That was a fine spot. (laughs) And Eduardo tells me his entertainment director, Chris Lash, already has a great lineup of resident stars who are getting in shape for the opening. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait till we go. Sing me a song, Piano Man. Yeah. <laughs> or, or As time goes by. Or anybody. Anybody you must remember song. this. But Al, speaking of live music, concerts are back for now. <laughs> um, and we have one coming to Mandalay Bay that seems to be right up your alley, Al. Psycho Las Vegas. And Psycho Las Vegas is dope. Uh, and it's coming to, like we said, the Mandalay Bay next week, kicking off with a pool party on Thursday. Uh, what do you think of uh, the lineup this year? Yeah, I mean, there's some great bands on that. Danzig's going to be there. I mean, look, you got to kind of like Danzig. I never really liked him as a person when I met him, but I have some fun stories about being kicked you, out of Danzig shows. And, do you um, do you like him in shape or like puffy out of shape Danzig? Oh, I definitely like puffy out of shape Danzig. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> man. And fat Elvis all day, every day, man. Uh, but Mastodon's on that bill. Mastodon is an amazing live band. I've seen them three or four times. I saw them at some outdoor festivals. Uh, I really like Mastodon. Down, which if I'm remembering my heavy metal stuff, that's one of the dudes from um, that was the, the, the guys that aren't dead from Pantera, basically, right? Oh. Are in Mastodon. I mean, no, look, I love the guys that were dead from Pantera, but there's there's that's the differentiating factor. Um, I mean, honestly, I do. I love Dimebag Daryl, and I, you know, whatever. They were they were great guys, but they're dead, and Down's not. Uh, also, Flaming Lips seems like a weird band to be on that bill, but um, it I'm, does. I always like seeing them. Um, who else? Cannibal Corpse, Exodus, Obituary, Poison the Well, but beer. There's going to be beer there, Jason. There is going to be beer there, and if you want to drink it, our friends at Craft House have created a limited edition brew that will only be available at the concert. Wendy Forrest recently told us about it. So we 
needed the beer to be easily crushable. So that's a term that we use in our craft beer community. That means it's not going to challenge your palate. It's not going to overpower overpower it with fruit or sourness or, or hops. Um, so it's a Hellas lager. And we thought there's no more metal of a beer style than a beer called a Hellas. Um, so it's a German style uh, lager, which is made uh, to drink large volumes of, and you can still enjoy the music and you can still stand up at the end of the night. She she speaks as if she knows how much we drink that we'll still be able to stand up at the end of the night. I mean, look, you don't just need to listen to metal to crush beer. You can go see Thievery Corporation and get in your groove there. But of all the bands, Al, I think uh, Goat Whore is my favorite name of any band on the... I like Goat Whore. I also like that... Uh, well, Dying Fetus is a great name of a band yes. on that bill. And then Pig Destroyer. And I like Pig Destroyer <laughs> because um, one of my favorite little heavy metal restaurants in the world is Kuma's Corner in Chicago. And one of my favorite burgers at Kuma's Corner is called the Pig Destroyer. Did, wow. That is amazing. Did you know there's a band uh, for us foodies called Foie Gras on this bill? And I wonder if like California would let them in sometimes, not to let them in sometimes. <laughs> Maybe we could force feed them. So uh, other big news. Um, which I hope to have more on next week, but Valencian Gold is back, or it will be, despite one of our colleagues, um, who we spoke about earlier, declaring them DOA during this pandemic. But they were just regrouping, redecorating, and reimagining their Spanish menu. So the new and improved Valencian Gold will soft open late in the week, Thursday and Friday, with the grand opening. And by the way, when I say something soft opening, there's no guarantee they're going to be open if you go on those days. So it's a crapshoot when somebody soft opens. They reserve the right not to have their shit together. So um, don't hold them to that. But a grand opening at the new Valencian Gold will be set for Saturday the 21st and Sunday the 22nd. Um, I spoke to owner Jeff Weiss just a few hours ago about what's changed. Okay, Jeff, the place looks a lot different. Um, what should people expect who know Valencian Gold? What's the new Valencian Gold going to be like that's different from what they remember? You're going to expect with the new Valencian Gold that you can't really expect what the heck you're going to see because it's going to blow your mind. We've got a live fire, wood fire grill. I'm going to be lighting with a giant gold flamethrower to start. The entire menu has changed. We're no longer doing the fast casual counter service. Everyone wanted us to throw the entire menu and our experience of Spanish cuisine um, on, onto the Las Vegas scene. That's what we're doing. We've got tapas, we've got amazing cocktails, and, and the paellas are, are absolutely outstanding. I can't wait to have you come in and try it out. And I'm going to be in, hopefully, before the next time we record, and we'll be able to talk about what it was like. Yeah, and for people who don't know, same location, right? Same location, absolutely. Awesome. Expect the unexpected at Valencian Gold. In other news, sometimes I do go to the AP wire for news, and Subway <laughs> franchisees want the chain to drop. I don't know how many of them, but they want the chain to drop Megan Rapino as a spokesperson because she took a political stand during the Olympics. <gasps> And I'm still trying to figure out what people were expecting when they signed an outspoken lesbian athlete with pink hair to endorse garbage sandwiches <laughs> that were once called out for using yoga mat chemicals in their roles. Right. But hey, I hear your last high-profile spokesperson, Jared Fogel, is eligible for parole in 2029. <laughs> a pedophile will probably be looking for a sandwich and a paycheck when he gets out. <laughs> Obligatory eat fresh pun here. I'm going to leave it alone. But you know what I'm more disappointed in? Why is Megan Rapino? Doing at, why are all these guys Steph Curry, well, Serena Williams? I get it, Tom Brady. He's super. You know, he'll do anything. But why are these guys doing ads for Subway? Well, okay, dude? you want to know why? Because women athletes are horribly underpaid. 
So maybe you and I should go watch them yeah. play sometime and buy a ticket instead of asking for comps. I would love to uh, go watch Aces game sometime. The, yeah, I like yeah. the Aces. I'm Just remember the, the the guy besides Rune Arledge, who is the most genius producer of sports television of the last 50 years, Don Omeyer, said the answer to all your questions is money. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's why to... I say we go History out and we, yeah. we, we go out and we support some of these women athletes. Well, they don't have to shill for Subway. <laughs> I, I got some news that involves money, Al. I yes. need to make some, but that's not the point. That's not news. Uh, the Guardian reports that MGM Resorts is preparing to auction off 11 Picassos valued at about $100 million. So what do you think that means for... Picasso, Julian Serrano's <laughs> restaurant at the Bellagio. I don't know, and I didn't have time to call Chef Julian up today to find out what um yeah, what I'd... the deal is. But hopefully, we could chat with him. And if not, you and I are going to have to go in and get some Picasso food. If if there's any oh. chance that anything's changing in there, we need to do that. That sounds good, and it's got the great view of the fountains. And you're right, it's Julian. I should have said that. Not Julian. Too. Julian. That's twice. I pronounced it wrong twice. <laughs> ah, He's good. only one of the best chefs in the world. Let's so leave that I'm on in my there. game right there. So, Guys, getting to my edibles reviews, I, I, I really need to do this this week because I went to a party and a friend of mine, I don't know whether she did it because she knew I, I reporting on edibles and thought I was an expert or whether she just knew that I didn't really drink and that I, I would want to get high, she thought. I don't know. But she said, hey, Al, I went out. I went to the dispensary. I got a lot of stuff. And she brought out some products. She brought out some gummies, which were good from Wild, a company that I like. But she brought this out. And I'm going to put a picture of this up on social media. This is called Sip Elixir. Now, this is, I had to do a lot of math because all the numbers are hidden under these freaking things and they're tiny. Mm-hmm. Look, try to read how many no, ounces is in here. Not... I mean, it's impossible to read it. But basically, this is one point. 75 ounces, right? So this is about a shot. This is a, if yeah. you poured this in a shot glass, it would be one shot. Has 100 milligrams of THC. Whoa. Now that's 10 doses of gummies, and that is um, that's 20 of those cans of can C A N N that we tried last week, right? So this is a lot. So for wh- whoever that chef was from, I think Esther's Kitchen, complaining that the cans didn't have enough THC. This is for you, man. <laughs> um, but 100 milligrams in one shot. So I, I open this thing up. You can't read it. it. Tells you a half of a capful is one dose, hmm. right? And this is like a cap. It's about you couldn't fit a dime in that cap, and you're supposed to pour it out and pour it into that cap and like figure out how much you could fit a like, dime in there okay anyway who the, the, this is the dumbest ass edible product i have ever had i mean the only thing i could think this is good for is spiking the punch at the prom if you were in an 80s movie um yeah. so i mean what do you guys I, think i would think you know that looks like you know it's the size of a five-hour energy and of course everybody for 20 years has been programmed that that's a that's a serving. So you grab that, boom, and man, if you did that with that, with a hundred milligrams, I mean, either they are, yeah, either they're and, and they come in flavors. Like, or what are you going to taste? The flavor could be dog shit. If it's only half a cap, <laughs> if it gets me high, I wouldn't care. I mean, but you know, like it's it's just ridiculous. And maybe if if anybody from the company's out there, you want to explain what I'm not understanding about this product? Are, please call. Are you saying, Al? That people who want to get high don't want to do math and figure out equations before they sample. <laughs> they want to get high. They don't want to die. That's why they don't like pot in casinos because you can't play blackjack mm. when you're stoned. Uh, Speaking of that, so you know. so just for the record, yeah. I am against sip um, elixir unless somebody from the company calls and will explain to me. Is this either just for dosing elephants, or is it meant to cook with, or is are you supposed to put it in the punch bowl? I don't know, but this scares the shit out of me, and I like 
you know, I'm I'm not anti getting high. I am anti subway. I want that on the record. Uh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of that, when we did our gummy episode from uh, the source, I decided after 40 years of of abstinence, and I'd only smoked like four or five times in college, and said this is just not for me. I thought, okay, I'll try the products, and I got the expert advice, just and so I you bought. Know, you told us this story before. I Were bought you a few high different then? things, <laughs> and I tried the sleepy one, which. Got me to sleep, but I didn't feel very good the next day. The one that put the, you on the couch. You the alert that. one, which made me very alert as to how high I was. And then the one that put me on a couch that the high really is nothing more than vertigo. Because when I got up, oh, I got to go back down again. And that was about all I had. So I am out of the gummy business. But I think it is interesting. Yeah. That- and we have to have a transition here. Uh, okay. Because, Al, for you, I brought them all, the three things I bought. And here... I transition, ah, slide them over to you. Gummies. You, I, you now possess those three. Do brands. you want to take home this, oh, God this no. elixir? Well, I hear this music. I want Macho Man Randy Savage to come down. <laughs> uh, That's a whole different song. I just way. felt like Rich got high and forgot that he told us. That's that story what I thought too. Week. But he really just wanted the pomp and circumstance. He's just glad to hear that music. He's like anything without rights. Anything he doesn't have to clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is public domain. Cap. I checked. So. Uh, okay, so <laughs> That's it. That is it. That's all. This week. What else can we do after Rich has retold the story that he already told us? Uh, That's it for this week of Food and Loathing. Uh, Thanks to all of our guests, DWB Show. We had so much fun there. Co owner Bryce Krausman and Eduardo Cordova, owner of the Arts District's only gay bar, The Garden, and the soon to be open strip adjacent piano lounge, Star Lounge. Also, thanks to Jeff Weiss of Valencian Gold and Craft House Breweries Windy Forest with a preview of the Psycho Las Vegas Festival at Mandalay Bay. And if you like what you heard, please join us again next time. We'll drop new episodes of Food and Loathing every Friday. Next week, it's all about the pizza and the pizza expo. Oh, I've been waiting for it, Al. And if you're listening and liking the show, and of course you will be... I guess we're going. That's for your like big this. finish. You didn't need All right, okay. all right, cool. Usually I uh, climax without music only in my head, but whatever. So uh, okay. tell him. now I've had to picture you and John Curtis having sex during. Yeah. I didn't say I was having sex in in a months. in a graduation gown. All right, please tell a friend about Food and Loathing. You can subscribe or follow on any podcast platform. If you subscribe through Apple, please give us a nice five-star review that would be awesome if you want to reach us directly by email it's info at food and on social media Lindsay, i hope we did it right this time search facebook for food and loathing on twitter we're at food loathing and on instagram find al's very nice photos and hopefully some of mine at food and loathing pod with jason harris and producer rich johnson <laughs> i'm manning those musical cues i'm al mancini stay manning one musical cue <laughs> <laughs> I got your cue Let's right here. Let's just fade out at this point. <laughs> <laughs>